This week we continue in class four of our study on the fear of man. And in class four, we'll think through how do we fear people? We fear that they will reject us at times. And so I want to start this class by asking a few questions. First, um, how would you describe yourself? Uh, What defines you? What do you find your deepest identity in? Uh, We usually define ourselves by our relationships, by our positions, by income, by possessions, by experiences. Um, All these things are used to uh, define us. It's it's how we define ourselves. Now, as we think about where we find our our identity and our meaning, um, we find that places, um, or in some of these places, we are most sensitive to rejection um, or approval of people when we think about our identity, how we would define ourselves and see ourselves. In Ed Welch's book, he has a book um, entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. In that book, he says this, closely related to the fear that people will expose us is perhaps the most common reason we are controlled by other people. They can reject They can ridicule, they can despise us, and so there's this rejection fear. They don't invite us to the party, or they ignore us, or they don't like us, Uh, they aren't pleased with us. They withhold acceptance from us, love, um, or significant things, things that we want, whether it's approval, acceptance, or, or whatever. As a result, we feel worthless. Um, so he's, in this book, he's, or in this section at least, he's trying to argue that oftentimes when we feel um, rejected and we feel sort of this sense of um, depression, it's tied to what we feel um, or how we feel people don't approve of us in different ways. So there's this fear of rejection from them. <clears throat> um, I remember having an assignment in seminary where we had to sort of examine ourselves, write out things that we fear um, related to the fear of man and people pleasing. And then we had to write a paper about how we would counsel ourselves concerning those specific fears. And I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. It was a pastoral counseling class and it was taught by, um, um, what's his name? Yes, Tripp. <laughs> um, and it was just a really uh, helpful class to sort of get a thumb to the pulse of my own fears connected to people pleasing. It was just a really, really good, good exercise. But we can identify with some of this stuff. When we think about the fear of man and the things that cause us to um, be downcast or depressed or discouraged, often we find it's tied to the approval of other people. Now, we often find ourselves thinking, What will make me look best? What will make me look most important or the smartest in the room at the time or the most successful at the time, most respectable in a particular social setting? These are struggles that we have. Uh, In the context of church, uh, we sometimes think like this, will I get called upon to serve in that way? And if we're overlooked, we think, what's wrong with me? Um, Why didn't they ask me to do that thing? Or, if we get asked, immediately our thoughts begin running towards, what will people think of the way I perform this task or this duty? What if I drop the ball? Um, will, they, will, will my uh, maybe incompetency, incompetency in this area, my lack of knowledge in this area be exposed? What will people think of me? Um, how will they think about how I just answered that question or how I just prayed? Um, even in these ways, we can become those who are We have a fear of people-pleasing and a fear of men. Um, Also in church settings, we deal with pride and false humility, so sort of the other side of of this coin. We recognize the irony of being puffed up about being a servant, so we may not directly appear to brag or put our views um, forward. Instead, we'll do things to fish for compliments. We may put ourselves down or minimize what we do in the presence of other people, hoping that they'll say, oh man, you're really humble. 
right? So we, uh, we have this sort of false humility and we want to sort of demean ourselves, but we're doing that and we're, we're, we, we fish for, sometimes we're, we're aching for someone to recognize us and say that was a very um, humble thing you did or I love the way you served in, in that way. Um, again, so but we'll talk about this a little later. Um, it's not entirely wrong to do things and to serve others and even for you to say to a brother or sister, man, that was really humble. But what we're trying to get at is the heart. Are we um, fishing for these things? Do we find our identity in these things? And that's where we want to be watchful of. So fear of rejection and the desire for acceptance is one of Satan's most significant uh, devices and snares. And it undermines what it means to be a Christian. And it's because we put our acceptance in other things apart from Christ or something else alongside Christ. It's still um, having something that we're finding our identity in um, apart from ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ and our union with him. The Puritan, Richard Baxter, uh, he has this um, sort of treatise or this writing, Directions Against Inordinate Man-Pleasing, it's called. And in that he says, Remember what a life of unquietness and continual vexation you choose if you place your peace or happiness in the goodwill or word of man. For having showed you how impossible the task you undertake, it must need follow that the pursuit of it must be a life of torment, he calls it, to engage yourselves in so great cares when you are so sure to be disappointed, to make that your end which you cannot attain, to find that your labor is vain and daily meet with displeasure or met with displeasure instead of the favor that you want and expect, you lose. And he says, this is a grievous life. You are like one that dwelleth at the top of a mountain, and yet you can't endure when the wind blows. He says, you are like one that dwells in the woods, and yet you're afraid of a leaf when it shakes. Um, he puts it in this very strong and vivid language in this sort of uh, metaphor to say that you're in a place that you'll never, never be satisfied. You'll never be at rest. You'll never have uh, peace of heart because you long for the approval of men who are themselves fickle and go from one side to the other with each moment and your own heart which is constantly being tossed to and fro by people's opinions and he says it's a grievous life now as Christians right we can say all right I know that I see that that's true I know what to do this is easy I just don't care about what people think I know the Bible right but it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> we all struggle with this, and it's a continual struggle and a pain at some time. Um, and so we have to think through uh, what the Bible says about this and just, again, have a, be willing to examine ourselves and really have the thumb to the pulse of what sort of triggers our um, sense of identity and our uh, depression and what makes us feel... Um, or question or chips away at our theology of our union with Christ. And sometimes it's something as simple but complex also as rejection from, from people. So, <clears throat> so people reject us. So our experience tells us that there is something to fear or at least to be careful about. People reject us because of things that we do or things that we say because of things related to who we are. And it's not always outright rejection. Sometimes it's just not accepting us um, the way that we want to be accepted um, or the way that we would want them to, to view us, to have us sort of a part of whatever they have going on. Now think about how you've been rejected and, or felt rejected or not approved of in the last month or week or few days. So take some time to think about maybe in your experience where you felt a sense of rejection and how you handled that. Um, what was your response to it? Was it irritation? Was it, were you agitated? Were you just depressed for that week? 
Um, did you did you pray? Did you get into an argument with the person that you felt rejected you? Think about that for for a sec. What are some ways that you felt rejected? <clears throat> So I'm going to ask <laughs> if anyone would be willing to, uh, it doesn't have to be last week, maybe that's too soon. Go back a few years and think about <laughs> when you were rejected and maybe how you worked through that. Um, and just if, if you're willing to, to share. Go for it. So I had um, one instance where I knew I needed to provide feedback to a person at work. Okay. And um, you know, when the you know the individual, and then you know what you need to share with them. Right. Right. It's not all the pat on the back, but you know there might be some constructive elements. Yeah. And so um, yeah, it was. It was um, a lot of prayer because you're like, man, I don't want to have to do this. <laughs> you know, is there any other way? You know, it's like, yeah, you're like working your way down the yep, list. Yep. Um, yeah, and then it's like it's it's that struggle. Like I know this is right, um, and man, if this person responds, like, you know, the way where they like take offense to it, it's going to be hard. You know, I don't I don't want that. Right. You know? um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was hard. It was a lot of like, all right, Lord, give me strength because I feel very uncomfortable <laughs> and I do not like being in this situation where right. it's like, I'm going to be vulnerable because I've got to share this and I really don't want to share. You know, it's like, but I know it's going to help, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It is. It's, it's, just, it, it is it's a tough. struggle. Yeah. It's tough. Like, no, you're going to put yourself out there and be vulnerable and the right. person might be like, oh, man, I can't believe. And you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. It's like, I just as you were talking, I, I I thought about like being in a place where there's a, like it's an environment that's toxic. I'm I'm talking literally like there's an environment where it's toxic, and you have a hazmat suit on. And when you're going into this conversation, you have to take the suit off and expose yourself to the element, <laughs> and you don't know how you're how you're going to react to it. You know, are you going to get boils? Or are you going to be okay? And I feel like it's like that sometimes when we go into conversations. You know, something in, in, in that in that case where you just don't know. You want to help and you want to, you know, you feel like you can, something you say would be able to encourage this person or help them or even challenge them. Um, and it's, it's that exposing yourself to vulnerability, which is hard and it's scary. So I definitely get that. Like workplace is, you know, a place where I've dealt with a lot of that um, just fear of rejection um, as a so I was a graphic designer for a few years and graphic designers are are very um, a approval confirmation sort of oriented you're creating something and you create it so that people like it and so you show it to them and they say uh, you know my response is well you don't know what's best for you I'm the designer <laughs> take it it's good <laughs> But it's a very vulnerable sort of, I don't know. Would you agree with that, Sabrina? That? I would describe it as one day you think like you're so awesome, you're like, this is incredible, and the next day you feel like you're a fake and everybody's going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> and you go through this constant roller coaster yeah. of a designer. Yeah. And it, it, you know, you know, you're always like, am I ready to show it? Am right. Ready for that that, that perfectionist, yeah. So, so Sabrina's a designer too, is why I said that. She was actually my teacher in college. But it's a very, that just uh, area of work is very vulnerable. So <clears throat> we recognize that rejection hurts. It doesn't feel good to receive a disapproving comment from a friend or a family member or the sense of not quite meeting our even parents' expectations. So the purpose of this session is not to encourage putting on a Christian sort of stoicism where we say, that doesn't hurt, I don't feel that. Um, that's not human, right? We, we recognize that it does hurt and we do feel even emotional and psychological pain from rejection. But our purpose as Christians is not first and foremost about feeling, but what is right before God. We wanna think right, we wanna believe right, we wanna even have the right feelings or our feelings informed by the right things 
right? And finally, we want to live right before God. So this is the key difference between the way Christians handle a fear of rejection and the way the world handles a fear of rejection, those non-Christians. So we have two different approaches and methods, okay? So the world seeks to cope with um, or retreat um, from rejection or only to treat the symptoms of the fear of rejection and, what, and what, what happens in the heart. They don't want to deal with the heart often. They want to deal with the symptoms, the, the, the fruit on the tree instead of the tree, the, the root itself. Christians recognize that the symptoms are not the real problem. They need to be changed, but they'll only be changed when the tree itself is, is dealt with. Right, so, <clears throat> so how do you fear people will reject you and how do you manifest and deal with this fear? So we fear rejection for who we are, personality, education, uh, job title, socio-economic uh, position, gender, race, experience, relationships. Um, you change your personality at times because you think people will like you better, depending on what context you're in. You seek after a certain degree or job title so that you can feel accepted. Uh, you fear being rejected by certain people because of other friends that you've chosen. So the fear of rejection is manifested by an overwhelming desire for approval. That's the, the root of the fear of rejection, an overwhelming desire for approval. The greater the expectation and the desire for approval, the greater we will fear and that feeling of rejection will overtake us, right? Um, our, our expectation of this person and how we want them to receive us feeds the fear of, of rejection. If they, in our eyes, like Ed Woch just said, when people are big and God is small, if this person, if we really, really want their approval and they're, you know, this Goliath in front of us and uh, they don't accept us, it crushes us because of how we see them. Um, if there's somebody that we, you know, maybe we say, well, I don't really need this person's approval. They say something to us, it's like, ah, yeah, it's fine. But you see, it's connected to our own view of the person and how big they are in, in our eyes and how much really power they have over um, how we view ourselves. <clears throat> so again, whose approval are you currently seeking or can't imagine living without? Whose approval do you need so badly you can't imagine living without? Fishing for compliments is another subtle way we fear rejection from others. So do you find that you love receiving praise from other people? Are you tempted to appear humble rather than to actually be humble? You wanna look humble, but not be humble. Um, <clears throat> so we do this in, in different ways. One, uh, we do this by intentionally putting ourselves down with the hope that others will correct or disagree with us. That's a subtle way of uh, a false humility. We put ourselves down so we can, let's say we have a knowledge in some area, um, I don't know, um, plant life and foliage, and we know trees well, and we'll say, well, I don't, you know, what, what type of tree is that? And because we don't want to look a certain way, we'll say, well, I don't really know what type of tree that is. Well, you just lied. <laughs> and you lied because you don't want that person to view you in a certain way. So we want to speak the truth um, in love, but we want to speak the truth also. We do this by constantly asking for assessment or critique in the hope that we will, that it will result in praise. Um, well, how do you think I did uh, in that thing? Or how do you think I, I, I handled that? And again, asking for wisdom and help is not in itself wrong. We're trying to get at the heart. Why are we asking for the help and the, and the critique? Is it because we really actually want to be changed, challenged, we want to mature, or is it because we want someone to say, that was amazing, <laughs> and our sort of uh, morale meter goes up and we walk away um, more prideful than we were before. Um, we also do this by bringing up subjects that, we, that, that will lead to our being praised um, or trying to keep those subjects from being changed. Right? We get into a conversation, and then they're talking about something we know a lot about, we want to keep the conversation there to show how much we know about that thing so that they will say, man, you're really smart. <clears throat> uh, we do this by praising others about, or 
praising things about others that you see in yourself with the hopes that they will reciprocate it. So we're giving the compliment in hopes that it'll be given back to us. And when it's not given back to us, what happens? We get agitated and we get irritated and we say, they don't know what they're talking about anyway. Um, we want that approval and that, that praise. Uh, Proverbs 25, 27 says, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Um, another, in another place in Proverbs, it says, um, let another man's lips praise you and not your own, right? <clears throat> so perfectionism is another way that we manifest the rejection of people. I need to be the very best at everything you do. I must be involved in everything and be the best person involved in all of those things. Um, and so we overextend ourselves and we give ourselves um, this excuse that we're being, that we're not giving 100% to that thing. That's why we, that's why it's not, it's not perfect. We give ourselves to a bunch of different things and then we make an excuse and say that, well, if I gave 100% of myself to this thing, I'd be great. But I only gave 80%, which is why you know, I did a half job. Um, underneath that can be people pleasing. Um, clothing we wear, um, um, uh, groups that we listen to, music choices, fashion, um, all these things, um, we just have to be mindful of whether or not a fear of people is driving what we do. Uh, one of the most common experiences of fear of rejection we face is the, the temptation to go along with the crowd, so peer pressure. Um, and this isn't just in middle school, and elementary school, and high school. Adults um, deal with peer pressure, and we can go along with things and take certain views that people have because we don't want to be rejected by them. Um, <clears throat> we don't want to be the one sort of isolated from from the cool kids. This happens <laughs> even with, with adults. Um, <clears throat> favoritism is, is another area we have to be watchful of. Um, we can manifest a rejection or fear of rejection in favoritism. Scripture is clear about how destructive it is and how it, uh, a lack of um, understanding of the gospel can feed into favoritism and that and, and that be a fear of rejection um, <clears throat> evangelicalism let's talk about that that for a sec uh, what are some what are some ways that you see um, a fear of man in uh, church life and just maybe broad evangelicalism when you think about what uh, attracts people what scares people away uh, where do you see a fear of man and rejection and just what church life can look like sometimes in the evangelical world? Go ahead, Mark. Um, I, think, I think of like pragmatism. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we might do certain things that might be outside the Bible. Right. Um, yeah, like fear. Yeah. Maybe not saying certain things, but it might be loose numbers or something. Right. Yep. That's definitely a fear of man underneath there somewhere. Yep. Absolutely. What else? So Mark said pragmatism, uh, doing, giving the people what they want, sort of, in a sense. Um, but what are some other ways that we see fear of man in church life? life? culture. Kyle? In some ways, you have on, on the spectrum like uh, uh, people that are like militant in how they disagree with people, yeah. and they're like, you know, blow them out of the water. And then you got the other end of the spectrum, which is like, let's just love everyone and hold hands. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I think there's a sense in which the fear of being rejected if we're not going along with people and like always agreeing, mm. you know, where it's yeah. like, okay, hey, now there's a place where we can lovingly disagree. Right. And, you know, 
you know, but, but doing that, knowing like, they might be like, well, how dare you? Right. You know, we're like, well, that's not right. You know? um, yeah. 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 Yep. <clears throat> how we respond to people when they disagree with us, uh, there can be a fear of rejection there, right? So that can be because we don't, maybe they said it in a certain way and it rubbed us the wrong way. Or it could be that we wanted their approval so badly when they disagree, it caused us to question our own selves, our identity, or you know, maybe our, our, our outlook, which isn't, again, always bad for us to be able to correct one another. But again, trying to watch your, your heart in that. <clears throat> Um, you know, maybe in the past or even here at certain times, you've been a member of a church where you do certain things or you say certain things or spend time with certain people because you believe those are the things that are necessary to be a good member in the eyes of those other people. Uh, maybe certain activities or, you know, uh, you, you read certain, certain books because you feel like, well, if I sort of want to be in with this crowd, I got to have read this author. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's talked about a lot. Uh, those are sort of ways where there can be, be people pleasing. Um, or <clears throat> want to be careful, <clears throat> or rather, um, now when, when we think about um, things like that, so I want to be mindful of um, how we interact with one another when it comes down to sharpening one another and encouraging one another and even. Um, exposing one another in a good and a God honoring way. We can't expose each other and it be good. Um, but we have to make sure that when we are interacting with one another or we're striving toward um, humility, gentleness and genuine fellowship, right? So um, that's always a challenge for, for, for all of us at different times, depending on the day you had, the week you had, the month you had, the year you had, you know, sometimes you hear people say, well, that person asked me how I was doing, but I don't think they actually want to know how I was doing um, because, you know, they would, they would run away if I told them the truth. Now, you could say, well, that's that person's fault. They don't really want to hear. Or you could consider your own heart and say, well, maybe I'm fearful to tell them how I'm actually doing because I'm afraid of how they might look at me. Um, we have to be mindful and watchful of our own hearts in that way. <clears throat> All right, let's, let's talk about our speech. Many times our speech that we engage in demonstrate a fear of rejection. Gossip, saying behind someone's back something that we would never say to their face is as bad as its sort of ugly sister Flattery. Flattery is saying to someone's face something you would never say behind their back. Both gossip and flattery are both um, underneath that is a fear of men. Again, gossip saying to someone's, saying behind someone's back what you would never say to their face, and then flattery saying to someone's face what you would never say behind their back. Um, lying blame shifting, uh, self-justifying language, manipulation, changing the subject or conversation or keeping it on a topic. These are all ways in, of communication that um, flow out of a fear of rejection and a desire for acceptance. So how fearing rejection and desiring approval harms us. Seven points here. One. It enslaves us to others. One biblical counselor said, being a people pleaser is like having a little handle on your back that others can grab hold of and push you and pull you wherever they want you to go. Two, love for praise actually undermines our receiving it. Those from whom you love to receive honor and those from whom you desire to impress will eventually be offended, if not repulsed by the pride that generates your lust. In other words, trying to please people who are constantly changing is something you'll never be able to do. Uh, three, um, 
our heavenly rewards are lost, or those that we would have gained are not gained when we have people above God. And that's something that we don't think about a lot. Um, <clears throat> uh, rewards in this life and, and the next. Four, it causes us to be increasingly blind to our own sin. People pleasing and uh, approval of people in an unhealthy way causes us to be blind to our own sin. It makes us more susceptible to being ensnared by flattery and deceit. When we're seeking people's approval, it doesn't take much for them to throw us off, right? You're having a great day, and because you want their approval so bad, they say the, slight, the smallest thing, and your whole day is ruined. Um, maybe we have an unhealthy view of people. Six, it causes us to be more susceptible to other sin when we, dem- when we demote God from the place of utmost fear and trust in our hearts. Um, what are some of the sins that flow out of fear of rejection? We looked at hypocrisy, discontentment, greed, timidity, unteachability, uh, indecision. These things flow out of an um, unhealthy view of people. Last, it can, take a, it can take a physical and psychological toll on us. Sometimes you have physical um, um, what I'm looking for, uh, reactions to something like people-pleasing because of how it affects your mind. You can have stomach problems, stress and tension, headaches, fatigue, depression, mood shifts, um, all because somebody holds uh, an unhealthy place in our hearts. <clears throat> okay, next let's talk about how pride fuels our fear of rejection. Pride can do a variety of different things in relation to the fear of man. Pride can cause us to uh, distort our sin and faults, either maximizing or minimizing it. How Paul said we ought not to think too highly of ourselves um, or too lowly, but we ought to have a, um, a truthful view of ourselves. So thinking too highly is wrong, sin. Thinking too lowly is sin. Um, so actually lying about what we can do in order to look more humble, it's, it's people-pleasing, and that's, that's wrong as well. So have a right estimation of ourselves, he says. Um, uh, it will tempt us to uh, try to get praise from others. Uh, pride will uh, cause us to misapply the praise that we do receive. Uh, and we say, look at how, how great I am. Pride will tempt us to overvalue our strengths and minimize our weaknesses. Um, uh, pride will tempt us to change our behavior rather than seeking a change of heart. Pride will tempt us to dismiss confrontation over sin or weakness. Um, it must just be their opinion, which is why they're, they're saying that. Pride can't handle criticism. <clears throat> okay, so ask yourself, what are other ways that you see pride fueling the fear of man in your own life? How do you see pride fueling the fear of man in your own life? You don't have to share, but maybe write it down or just give some thought to it. Okay. Now, we mentioned in, um, or you think last week maybe have talked about this, this this appropriate question um, that we thought about in the past, or the past few weeks, ways that um, we fear rejection and crave approval and acceptance. Um, we, we see it sinfully, but are there um, positive ways to think about approval, right? The answer is yes, there are positive ways. And actually, uh, times are, it's good to consider approval. Um, so let's, let's look at some of those ways. <clears throat> and we'll sort of try to define them and, and, look, at, and look at them in context. So 1 Peter 3.2 says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And then 1 Timothy 3.7 goes on to say, he must be thought well of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. These are actual qualifications for elders. One of those things is that he must be thought well of by outsiders. 
So is, is Paul saying that he becomes a man, a man pleaser? He has to be a man pleaser to be a good elder or qualified for the office of, of elder? No. <clears throat> He's saying that this man must have a reputation that is honorable. That doesn't mean that he goes, he runs around his neighborhood. He's like, all right, guys, um, I think I want to <laughs> become an elder. It doesn't work like this, but <laughs> I think I want to become an elder. Let me just mow the, the lawn of everybody in my neighborhood so that if somebody happens to come <laughs> and they ask my neighbor, you know, what kind of man I am, you know, you can tell them, you know, what kind of man I am. Now, we don't usually go to <laughs> potential elders' neighborhoods and say, hey, uh, but that, that's not uncommon. Matter of fact, in the uh, 17th century uh, Baptist uh, writings, you, you can find that they would go to the employer of the man or the neighbor of the man and, and ask them to get an idea of his, his character. But um, again, we, we don't do that in order to be qualified. It should, um, it should um, already be sort of characteristic of us. Generally, though, as Christians, <clears throat> we should seek to have a good reputation with outsiders. But again, this has to be tempered with a realization that this is for God's glory and praise and not our own glory and praise. Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, that he has become all things to all men. Uh, in that, Paul recognizes that in matters that are not sin, it is appropriate to adapt oneself to one's audience in a way that will most appropriately adorn the gospel. So even in that, something is behind that. That's not my approval or acceptance, but how do I adorn the gospel? How, do, how can I make the gospel more clear with my words um, and with my character? How can I adorn the gospel? <clears throat> Um, what else is an appropriate uh, way or appropriate, when else is it appropriate to please other people? In relation to pleasing and respecting parents and authorities, it is not only appropriate, but it's commanded. Again, this is within the context of pleasing these individuals above and beyond fearing and trusting God. Rather, it's not in that context. So we are willing to disobey, so are we willing to disobey the Lord in order to please other people? That's a question. Exodus 20, 12, honor your father and your mother. Proverbs 16, 14 to 15 says, a king's wrath is a messenger of death and a wise man will appease it. In the light of the king's face, there is light and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. So in regard to, let's say your boss, <clears throat> um, if there's, there's nothing sinful about uh, thinking through how to serve your employer and even do things that would please them, right? Um, matter of fact, it could actually be something that's uh, commendable to give thought to, okay, you know, um, I mean, I can't think of, of, a, of a specific situation, but maybe you can think of, you know, something that your boss asks you to do that's not sinful. You know, they like the folder to be arranged in a certain way. Um, and most people who work there aren't in the habit of doing that. And for you, it's like, oh, that's something I can do. Um, he, that's not a necessity, but it's something that my boss, you know, he appreciates or she appreciates and, and, and you do it. That's not wrong or sinful. It can actually be commendable at times even. Um, if you are married, it is right to seek to, um, to please your spouse um, in, in a healthy way. If you are married or if you become married, this relationship uh, supersedes other relationships. So your first human responsibility is to your spouse, not your parents. So this might involve abandoning um, old beliefs or activities or traditions that you held um, as a child with your parents and family once you become a new family unit. The desire for approval for one's parents should no longer be a concern um, in an unhealthy way, and this again um, it doesn't mean to disregard your parents, but there's a priority shift, right? So um, leave and cleave. We can do that physically and move to another state, but still actually not have left and cleft, cleaved. <laughs> um, certain things that we think, certain practices we have, we can try and bring on our new family unit that we practice in as children with our parents, and it's, it's unhealthy. 
And so we have to be mindful of that as well. <clears throat> um, we've got a couple minutes left here. So I want to look at some places in scripture where we see people struggling with uh, the fear of man. <clears throat> First, we see that the fear of man falls in the category of um, idolatry laid out in Romans 1.25. Men and women throughout scripture and today turn other people into idols. This means that we start to think that people can give us something we need that God isn't able to give to us. When we believe that they can protect us in ways that God can't, or when we need them so much to sort of be a hedge for us, um, and we think that God can't. We do this in very subtle ways. Worshiping anyone or anything in addition to God is just as bad as a complete um, substitute. We worship other people because of sin and shame. We long for a more domesticated God and other people at times easily fit the bill. Um, they're before us, they're tangible. We want to have their approval. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 117 says, you shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the, the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone for the, judge is, for the judgment is God's. So here in Deuteronomy 1, Moses recognized the tendency for those uh, whom have been given authority over these camps of people to treat people with partiality, and he warns them against that. In 1 Samuel 15, we see Saul's fear of David's growing authority and recognition. Uh, he feared the rejection of people as they switched allegiances to him. Uh, John 12, 42 to 43 says, Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, Christ, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And one of the saddest statements in the gospel, many of the Jewish leaders would not confess belief in Christ because of the fear of man. And it's interesting there that he connects it with a love he doesn't say that uh, they wanted, he could have said that, or that they liked. He went down to their affections and says that they loved glory from people more than the glory that comes from God. <clears throat> so he's not shooting at surface stuff here. He's digging deep down and getting at our affections. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. So Paul is telling us that the Corinthian or that the Christian is not subject to the wisdom of this world, the wisdom that would proclaim um, the gospel is foolish, right? We're, we're not subject to that. We don't have to be chained by that type of thinking and, or wisdom. The more we live in this reality, the less we are fearful of the opinions of others and, the fleeting, and their fleeting approval. Um, some other verses that you can just write down. Uh, Galatians 2, 11 to 12. Um, Exodus 32, um, Aaron sort of facilitating and encouraging the people's idolatry um, as they bow down to a golden calf. Um, Mark 15, 15. That uh, ex Exodus 32 passage is interesting too because when you think about what happened there, you know, we, God is on the mountain, Moses is up there with God, Aaron's down here with the people. Um, and there's this, like the step that they're taking. First they're doubting, and they're forgetting, then they're blaming, and then they're taking off jewelry and melting down things to create this golden calf. And you, you don't often think people pleasing is in there some, somewhere, but it is. <laughs> Aaron is, he's uh, not only influenced, but he's going along with these ideas from the people, and they make this idol. So somewhere in the pot of their heart is stirring in that pot was people pleasing. And out of that came a golden calf. Um, and we know what, what happens after that. But um, <clears throat> Isaiah 53, 3 tells us that Jesus was rejected by men. Um, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief 
as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. They esteemed him not. This begins to put our fear of rejection into perspective. So when we feel like um, in an unhealthy way, we are being rejected or despised or we're not esteemed enough. Uh, no one deserved to be esteemed more than the Lord Jesus. Uh, no one deserved, uh, no one was, was less worthy of being despised than the Lord Jesus. I think I said that right. Uh, he deserved all esteem. He deserved all respect and honor. And yet he was despised. So if you are despised and esteemed um, for the sake of your witness, for the gospel, even your character that's not sinful, then you are in good company. You don't need approval over and above your union with Christ as your identity. And this shows itself again in a bunch of different ways and we have to be watchful of it. At work, at home, relationships, at church. Um, it peaks its ugly head in a lot of different places and we have to watch for them and remember the Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand that because of this rejection that Jesus endured for us, any rejection that we are called to face in this life will be temporary. Just as the approval we so desperately seek and to attain is fleeting, right? So any rejection we do experience will fade and be forgotten quickly. I mean, think about when you were 10. Do you, do you remember situations in school, in class, when you were rejected and uh, um, you, know, you felt despised? You know, maybe you do. Maybe you don't. And if you do, I'm sure it happened a lot more than you're remembering it did. <laughs> but the point is that most of those things you, you, you don't recall, you, you don't remember. Um, these things will be, be forgotten. Uh, in Ephesians 2, Paul describes how that in Christ we are accepted by God. So, Christian, you have received the greatest approval and acceptance uh, by God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, God who actually does know you. He knows our thoughts. He knows our feelings. He knows what we um, thought this past week, uh, the depths of what we thought, the, the, the wickedness that's there. Um, he knows what I contemplated. He knows what I considered. He sees it, knew it before uh, e in eternity past, um, and predestined the believer for adoption through Christ. We have his approval. Right? If the Lord is for us, um, what do we have to prove to others? Um, why are we craving uh, their approval so much when we have the Lord's approval of us? Um, it's, uh, we have to be watchful of an inordinate, as Richard Baxter said, an unhealthy approval of men. And most of the time, for us as fallen people, it is unhealthy. And so we have to watch for that and remember the gospel. Uh, finally, as we saw last week, according to Hebrews 4, 14 and 16, because Jesus was rejected, he is able to sympathize with our rejections. Not only that, but because uh, of he, that he's our high priest and his high priestly function, we can come to him with our fears and with our rejection, um, all those things, and with confidence go before the throne of grace. Know that we are insufficient, that we struggle, we struggle today, we're gonna to struggle tomorrow, and next week, and next month, and we will struggle with people pleasing until Christ returns. That's just the reality of living in a fallen world. But we can bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, fill me with your spirit, give me grace, give me strength, give me uh, courage of heart to not love this person's approval so much. When we think about courage, we don't often think about it in those terms. Um, it's easy to um, die, I don't want to say easy, but it can seem courageous to die for the gospel on the mission field um, when we're rejected and speared through. But pray for courage that the next time you see that person whose approval you need so badly, you don't shrink back, but you stand firm, and not your confidence, but the gospel. I don't need this person's approval that much. Pray for courage for that. Because, um, that, again, 
it's that more often than it is dying on the mission field for us. Um, both happen, but I think one more than the other. <clears throat> so some things for you to um, take with you today, this week, and consider. How does the gospel intersect with our fear of rejection? Think about what it looks like at home, uh, what it looks like at work, what it looks like at church. <clears throat> I'm hoping to, for you and for me, to sort of, um, I have a lot of um, grass in my front yard and uh, some, some of it is just weeds. And it's not until I get down close and I look at it and I say, oh, that's a weed and I, I pull it up. I'm hoping that this class will give you a sharper eye for the weeds of people pleasing and rejection sort of in the garden of your heart. They're there um, and we all need help to see them and identify them and come alongside one another to pluck them out. So again, something for you to take home and consider. Pray about, Lord, where, where is this in my home life, in my work life, in church life? And I'll pray for you, pray for me. <laughs> All of us struggle with it. And I'll pray, pray for us now as we close, okay? Lord, we give you thanks for your word, which is sufficient. Um, the only sufficient and, and infallible rule of faith and life. Lord, we pray that you would sharpen us as we look into your word. Help us to remember the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was despised and rejected um, so that we would never have to be despised and rejected before the one whom, of, of whom, before whom it really matters. God, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage, that you would give us true humility that you would help us to live in a way that is honoring to you. Bless us now as we go into uh, the corporate fellowship room, the corporate worship room to pray and listen to the word preached and take the Lord's Supper um, and encourage one another. Even then, <laughs> in that special and unique place, um, fear of rejection shows its head. So Lord, help us to be mindful of these things in, in a way that it's in line with Christian maturity. Help us to uh, fight against these things and to have as most important for us our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one before whom we are approved and accepted on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. Bless us now, Lord, for your glory and our good as we see it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>